0: Welcome to Optivate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started.
1: Hey everyone, you are tuned in to yet another episode of the Aptivate podcast brought to you by Remerge. Today, I am your host, Tommy, and today, as always, I have the distinct privilege and honor of speaking with a really special guest. I'm really excited to talk to today's guest for a number of reasons. I think they have an incredibly interesting perspective on the industry, and they are one of the more influential members of the entire industry. In fact, this person was actually nominated as one of the Outstanding Top 100 Executives Of 2021 by the Yahoo Finance staff recently. I'm super excited. It's an incredible accolade for a person and it's well deserved. So, without further ado and without dragging on too long, today's guest is Renato Camargo, who is the country manager and CMO at Ricaria Pay. Renato, nice to meet you. How's it going? Yeah, just fine, Tommy. Thanks a lot for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. We're really excited to have you. So, you my friend, are based in Sao Paulo, correct? Yes, yeah, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Has that been home for most of your life, not all your life?
0: Yeah, in fact, yes, about 20 years. I'm from the countryside of Sao Paulo, the state of Sao Paulo. But I live here for the last 20, 21 years, I think. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah. Do you ever get an itch to go somewhere else and move? Yeah, I really want to move to other places. In fact, not outside Brazil. I do love Brazil, so I want to stay here. But consider what happened after the pandemic, that we can work from anywhere. So that's the point in here. So I live, I do prefer to live here because I have my dogs, I have my family. I have my husband that lives here, so I do prefer to stay here. But if I want to move to other places to stay a month, two months, working from home or working from other places, it will be amazing as well.
1: I know Sao Paulo has, for lack of a better term, like a a pretty massive tech and innovation scene happening. It's been happening for a long time. Are there other regions in Brazil that are experiencing something similar to what you see in Sao Paulo?
0: Yes, we do have, in terms of technology specifically, we do have Belo Horizonte is the capital of the state of Minas Gerais. We do have Porto Alegre is the capital of the state of uh, Rio Grande do Sul. So we have different hubs in Brazil. We have basically three, of course, Sao Paulo. Is the biggest one and uh, in fact, São Paulo, I think it's the biggest from South America, uh, the biggest from the whole countries of South America, but uh, we do have lots of hubs here in Brazil and they are popping up all the time, considering the boom of the tech, of the startups, of the investments that Latin America is been having on the last few years. So that's amazing. Why
1: do you think Latin America and Sao Paulo, maybe in particular, have seen this kind of boom
0: over the last few years? Is there any couple things that you would attribute this kind of innovation to? First of all, I think we have lots of very good founders here in Brazil and in Latin America, creating companies, amazing companies that can compete globally, not with other companies, but can compete in terms of recruiting very good people, in terms of creating a very good strategy, innovating. So the eyes that usually stays focused in other regions of the world, just like Asia or U.S. or Europe, they are looking for Latin America and say, why not look for Latin America? We have very good founders in there. We have very good technology, very good strategy, and we can double down Latin America, invest in Latin America and check if you can, can go globally. And we can see there are lots of unicorns, there are lots of techs that are developing here first in Latin America and going across borders. So that's the main point. And the investors are seeing very good results. So it's not just investing and let's see what's going to happen in 10 years. No, they're investing, they're seeing very quick results. So we are very serious, uh, all those foreign investors to come here and stay in Latin America, invest in Latin America other than, or together with other countries or other regions in the world. Totally makes
1: sense. Yeah, I know there's been just explosive growth across multiple verticals, like some that come to mind, you know, Landmark for FinTech in particular, I've seen just massive developments there and obviously you're privy to a lot of what's going on there, but before we dive too, too much into those aspects of the conversation, I want to get a better understanding for who you are. So some of your background, obviously one doesn't become a CMO. Overnight, one does not get nominated with the incredible accolade that you got nominated with overnight. Tell me
0: your story. How did you arrive at where you are today? Man, it's so difficult to talk about myself, especially in another language. I do appreciate you doing that. Even in Portuguese it's very difficult, but now I'm a CMO, but it was very difficult to drive where I am today. So at a fintech and the most important thing and the most important movement I made to become a CMO and have this position. Is to double down and to see that the tech market was booming and replacing the good things that a traditional company, a retail company, an industry, etc., etc., they were not providing to the employees. Just like constant innovation, quick actions, A B testing all the time, the opportunity for you as an executive to grow and to implement your ideas, to have a voice to work in a more diverse environment. So when I did that movement four years ago from the biggest retailer in Brazil, I was working GPA, which was the biggest retailer in Brazil, also a very good company to work. But I saw that opportunity to be myself. And when you are yourself, know the touching points of your life, just like behavior or technical skills or they by they things that you can implement and can create, you can put your ideas on the paper and take off the paper and execute them. You grow naturally. You start scaling your ideas and your actions. And with that, you grow naturally, organically. And that's the most important thing. So I made a career, a bit of all my career in big companies. So I worked for GPA, the biggest retailer of Brazil, just like I told you. I work for Accor Hotels, which is one of the biggest hotel chains in the world. It's the biggest one outside the US because in the US you have Merritt, Hilton, etc. So outside the US, it's the biggest of the world and was in charge of all the CRM, loyalty, partnership things for Latin America. So I had important roles, but I had important roles in multinationals and big companies, very traditional companies. And I was a chair, basically, I was part of a chair, so before me. There was someone in there after me, someone else replaced me, but it was a chair. When you go to build something from scratch in a tech, in a startup world, it's not the name or the title that was amazing for me, but the opportunity to, okay, man, what I have to do now. When I arrived at the Recarga Pay, I had nothing, I had just myself as marketing. So I had to do everything else after 20 years of a career in big companies, having big teams, 20, 40 people in each company. I arrived here and I had nothing. I had just myself. So I had to go to LinkedIn, post the things of the company myself and design. So I had to go to Google to make the ads. I had to go to the press to talk to the press by myself. And that was the magic because I learned all the things I had to do. I put my hands in that. So the things start growing and then I was able to recruit and to hire people that could do the things that I was doing. And I have, the, with that, the opportunity to know until the page 2, what they are doing and to manage them. And that's the magic of pivoting my career from traditional companies to a tech company. But it was a long way, a long way of about 25 years. And I'm very happy. I don't think I will go back to the industry, to the retailer, to the traditional or the old economy companies in a very good way, of course. I'm very happy in a tech world, in this world that uh, is booming all over the world. It's an interesting point you make.
1: It sounds like, and we can get into this in a bit, it sounds like a lot of the driver for you to enter in the tech market was just the actual, you mentioned things like the innovation piece, the quick moving, the opportunity to grow, but you also mentioned the opportunity to have a voice and to potentially be a member of a team that can actually influence that culture of that team itself, as opposed to if you work for one of the largest retailers or one of the largest hotel chains in the world, right? You might have a voice, but your ability to impact change is obviously diluted by the fact that there's maybe 5,000 other voices out there, and maybe they don't all agree with you. And efficiency becomes part of the challenge and creating real cultural shifts. So Totally makes sense that this has been alluring to you. What is interesting, though, and as I look at your LinkedIn profile, you have a diverse background, obviously. You've mentioned hotels, retail, but now you're in fintech, and that's a big shift. Obviously, what you as a marketing professional can apply across these verticals, maybe there are some similarities, but you mentioned that you had to do PR, for example, when you joined Ricardo pay. But what I'm all getting at in all this is, Why the fintech space? You could have probably found a retail startup that would have catered to some of your background, but you didn't do that. So why were you interested in fintech?
0: We're living in Brazil and Brazil, is a country that we have five or six big banks and they concentrate basically 40, 50% of all the financial market in Brazil, not anymore. In fact, what happens that we have about, they concentrate all the things, so they did not open and did not allow other companies to start innovate the things. So, of course, they are imposing huge amount of taxes or fees for the clients, even considering that they, together with that, didn't even allow people to be part of their company. They did not allow clients to enter in that environment. So we have lots of unbanked people in Brazil, almost 60 million of the people. We have about forty percent of the population of Brazil, that they're not banked, nor even had access to financial services. They pay things in cash. They have cash at home. So they store cash at home and it was insane. So I saw the opportunity together with all the other fintechs that are booming in Brazil. When I entered Pay four years ago, we have about 200 for fintechs. In Brazil, now we have almost 3,000 fintechs in Brazil, just in four years. (laughs) Lots of fintechs. Yeah, we'll have the biggest one. We have New Bank that just made an IPO. It's the second biggest fintech in the world, just after, I don't know, Revolut or something like that. And they are very, they are huge. On the day of the IPO, they became the first financial company in terms of valuation in Brazil, in front of all those five, six banks. So. I had the opportunity to saw that at that time. I had my boss telling me that these environments, financial environment will in five or six years change a lot. They will be totally disrupted. So that's why I took the opportunity. Okay. If I want to make a move for the startup world of the tech world, why not a fintech because it's more certain that this will grow a lot in the next few years than the other ones. We have the food tech, we have the health tech, we have the insure tech, we have all the the ed tech, etc. So I knew that at that time fintech would grow a lot. That's why I made that movement. It's not just go to a tech company, but I was pretty sure that I want to enter in the financial market because the financial market in Brazil was insanely traditional, insanely concentrated. And that's why we had the opportunity to do the things from scratch and start saying, hey, guys, big guys, you are not going to do, keep doing that all the time.
1: sounds like prior to the fintech kind of boom, the financial institutions were operating in somewhat archaic ways, so much so that the average person and people maybe like even you knew weren't actually using them. And that's why you said they were storing their money in their home, in their mattresses or whatever. If you see that problem, you say, well, I can really impact their lives in a positive way.
0: Yeah, man. At that time, I had my pet sitter that she was not banked. She did not have a bank account. I have the lady that works here at home that comes here once a week to clean the things. And she was not banked as well. And I was suffering to pay them. So I had to have cash. And to have cash, I had to go to an ATM and withdraw the money. But I was work from home and I <laughs> could not leave the house. So that's why fintechs are all around and growing a lot because they are solving those problems. And why the lady that works here at my place or my pet sitter or thousands of other cases, they were not banked because simply the big banks did not allow them to be banked. They did not want, or if they want, okay, they said, okay, I'm going to invoice you. I'm going to charge you lots and lots and lots of fees. If you want to be here, you have to pay lots of things. And that's the problem. They didn't have money, this gig economy, to pay for those big banks. And that's why the fintechs are growing a lot, booming. It sounds like it was a
1: completely non-inclusive environment and the barriers of entry for the average person living in your country were too high for them maybe to actually access banks. And so the goal here is to democratize the accessibility of banking and give people more security in their money. If you're getting cash, like, you got to put the money to work somehow, ideally in a bank of some sort, maybe where you collect interest or where you get rewards for your purchases. If 1% of the world is getting those benefits, why not the rest of the world? So it sounds like y'all are trying to solve that problem. Tell us, what is Pay for those who are not familiar with your organization today?
0: Pay is basically one of the biggest fintechs in Brazil. So we are a digital wallet. And that allows people to pay their bills, to make transactions, peer-to-peer transactions for friends or for anybody else. We have a very new system in Brazil that's operating by, that's and used by 70% of the Brazilian population. That's called PIX. It's a very important thing. It's a peer-to-peer transaction with no fees that the Central Bank of Brazil, the Fed of Brazil just created about a year ago. And it's flying very high banking people with those transactions that they were not allowed to pay without fees years ago. So also, Recarga Pay offers, you know, you can buy gift cards of Netflix, Spotify, iFood, et etc. et cetera. So it's basically a digital wallet that you can do lots of things, a unique app, pay everything in a unique app and without paying fees, receiving cash back. And we offer cash back in all the transactions. And you can pay things in installments, the famous now in America, now in Europe, the famous buy now pay later that we Brazilians, we operate with this buy now pay later since we are a child, so <laughs> we are children and we grew up with buy now pay later or pay things in, in installments. That's the way I gotta pay works. And of course we do have B2B, we have very huge, big, big economy, so we have We are a continental country. Brazil is a continental country. So you have a lot of cities here in Brazil that they have only one bank agency, physical bank agency, and the people are not digitalized financially. So they have to go to that agency to pay their bills. But of course, if the agency is closed, they need to have an option. So we have these resellers, small resellers that use RecargaPay to receive from those people and they can pay their bills and these resellers can receive money from Pay, a commission to do that. So we are growing a lot. We fly very under the radar. We are not the ch- type of company that screams out loud, ah, we are pay let's go to TV, let's go to the radio. No, we get all this money that are invested in here, all the profit that comes to here that we are generating here, and we reverse it in investments mm-hmm. in the platform and of course, in cashbacks and not charging fees to the clients.
1: It's probably the greatest way to grow. The greatest way in the world to grow is by creating, I guess it's, I, don't, I hate to use this term, but I'm going to like a symbiotic relationship. If you're constantly asking things of your consumer, why do they want to work with you? You have to give back. And it sounds like maybe the greatest form of investment that y'all are exploring is investing in the consumers themselves to give them the greatest experience they could have And so they tell their friends and they tell their family and they get just get more and more organic growth that way.
0: Yeah. It's a relationship that works both ways. That's why the companies and tech companies are growing a lot because it works both ways. It's not a one way. Traditional companies works that way and does not work anymore.
1: Yeah, no, it certainly does not. This is not the only way, however, that cargo pay is innovative, from what I can see. And this gets us into something that I really want to talk about with you, on the one hand, because I've never really talked about this subject at length within our organization, or within this podcast, I should say. And because I know that you're a very vocal proponent of inclusivity in particular. so. I'm hoping that you might take a second to tell me about your journey as it's related to the topic of inclusivity and how you've worked to incorporate that in your business today. Obviously, you've been incredibly successful in it. Again, as exemplified in being nominated as one of the outstanding top 100 executives of 2021. Again, it doesn't happen overnight. So tell us about your viewpoint and how you came to where you are today as it's related to this topic.
0: Yeah. I'm very open to say this, but I'm a gay man, very privileged. And that's part of my story. That's why I decided to push a lot this thematic here and in all the companies that I worked, and uh, of course, publicly in LinkedIn and all the press. Why is that? Because I'm gay, even being gay, I'm a white gay man, a cisgender gay man. So we have an LGBTQ people and I'm the most privileged one between all those letters with that in mind. And knowing that I never, I've never suffered any prejudice of, for being gay. Why? Because I'm a man, I'm cisgender. So I took the opportunity to talk about this out loud and to alert all the other Cs because I'm a C-level executive. I'm the country manager of a big company, a big tech here in Brazil. And I have a voice, a public voice. And with that, I realized that I have to say that to all the people that won. We need to do things to be more inclusive, and it should be done by the top executives of a company. This is the type of things to promote inclusion, diversity, representation in a company that cannot be done bottom-up. It must be top-down, it must be from the senior leaders, and of course, with their expertise, with this in mind, with the support of an outsourced company, with organizations or people that are hiring the company that can represent those type of minorities, they need to spread the world in the company and truly double down in it. We have an example here, Carapi, we are a very inclusive company. We need to, of course, be better than we are today. We have lots of things to build and to get better, especially on the high seniority. Executives, in terms of more women, we need to have more black people or more diverse in race, etc. But we are doing that day after day. So we do have lots of recruiting processes here at Pay that we need on the top of the funnel have a huge diversity. And when we have two people in the final, we need to choose that one that are not so well represented here in the company. So we have a man, a woman, I'm going to choose the women. If I have a gay and a straight or a lesbian and a straight, I'm going to choose those ones. Of course, the gay or the lesbian. And with that in mind as well, one of the things that I had to do is to be a voice for those who cannot speak about their version inclusive because they're going to be very well received by the general population. So I'm a gay man, but between all those LGBTQ, et cetera, the T or transgender is the worst of them. They receive punishment all the time. It's terrible for the transgender people all over the world to be included, even inside this community of the LGBTQ people. So I need to understand my privilege, to recognize them and to use my voice, my corporate power to be more inclusive with the people. It's almost uh, an obligation for me and to give back to the world all the things that I had the privilege to receive during all my career.
1: Everything you said is really quite wonderful. And uh, I commend you for being a leading voice on the matter in itself. I think that requires pretty immense bravery bravery that I obviously can't fully empathize with because I am a cis white male. So my privilege goes, I mean, I have the most privilege one could ever have in the entire role, if I would argue. It's hard for me to really understand what that experience is like for you, but I do want to learn more. And so one of my questions for you is, it sounds like one of the ways that you've identified, developed, creating inclusivity is by speaking out in and of itself and being a leading voice, especially if you are a higher level executive within an organization, because your ability to impact change and even the words you say can be far greater widespread than were you not maybe at that level. How are your messages received generally by the public when it comes to spreading this message of inclusivity? Do you find that generally speaking within maybe the Brazilian economy or landscape or in the fintech space? that they're received with positivity and encouragement and that people are getting behind these kinds
0: of movements. Yeah. In fact, since the Black Lives Matter a movement that happened last year or the year before, <laughs> I'm losing during these two years of pandemic time and space. But since Black Lives Matter, this thing of inclusion, it's a thing that all the companies are talking about. They cannot say again just like the last few years, okay, mean leave it for a moment that we are not so busy. So, no, they need to do that, especially the tech company. And it was funny because at that time, Black Voices Matter, I was very engaged in all those minority people movements, minority in terms of course, positions of leadership. And we had a very interesting movement here in Brazil that it was called Black Voices Matter. We had lots of black people occupying LinkedIn accounts, Twitter accounts, Instagram accounts of famous people or relevant people or influencers, no matter if corporate influencers or general influencers, celebrities, whatever. And I had a very good friend of mine today. It's a very good friend of mine. Black woman, that one of the single managers, black woman in Brazil, and she occupied my LinkedIn for a week. So we replaced the photo, replaced the name and say, it's here, Viviane Moreira in Renatos LinkedIn, I'm going to talk a week about the things about black people. The engagement dropped down significantly. Oh, it did? Yeah, significantly. And I send a message to LinkedIn and say, what's going on here? Because my engagement was so high. Each post that I used to do, I had, I don't know, 4,000 likes and engagement and comments. What happened? No, not it's okay with your accounts. We saw here that it changed the photo, the name, maybe an action. Okay, but with your engagement, it's okay. People are just not liking it. Okay, I returned to my LinkedIn one week later on a Saturday and made a recap in a post with a recap. And I had 4,000 likes again. So when you have a black person, when I have a woman, a black woman person talking about diverse, inclusion, people don't listen. So when you have a white, cis man talking about those things, people listen. So that's the moment I said, now, consider that I have this privilege and people listen to me because I'm white, I'm man, I'm cis, and I'm a leader. I'm a C-level. I'm going to start doing only this on my LinkedIn. And that's what I did for the last few years. Unfortunately, people only listen to their equals. And we have in the leadership positions in Brazil, top leaders, only white men. And that's a problem. So if I had to use that to promote the change, I would do that. That's what I'm doing right now.
1: Yeah. It sounds like a big piece of the change here. A lot of this comes from, like you just said, who has the power and the means. And today it's white men. And that's why a big piece of your, it sounds like recruiting process is to really push for inclusivity. But it sounds like you take it a step further. And I want to ask you a question. And I don't want anyone, you or anyone to perceive that I am against inclusivity. This is a question, actually, for those who may have had a problem with something you said, which I agree with everything you said, and I agree with your tact. So I want to be very clear here. But let's take an example you said before, If two people applied for your job, hypothetical, and one was a woman and one was a man, or one was a gay person or someone from the LGBTQ community and the other was a cis white male or something, you would always choose the person who comes from a a minority population, assuming that their resumes and their qualifications are the same. I do not believe this, but some people might say something like, well, that is obviously discriminatory against one other person. So I think this is a really good opportunity for maybe you to educate people on why that is not the case, why it would not be discriminatory towards say, the white man in this case.
0: And it's not discriminatory because if I had exactly the mirror of the representation of the population here at the company, it will be discriminatory, but it's not. I do not have, Brazil has uh, 56% of black people, self-declared black people, and I do not have 56% of collaborators here at RecargaPay. When I have that, okay, I can talk about discrimination. I don't have, of course, this number is not well and very precise because people don't say that out loud, but I don't have at least 40 or 35% of LGBTQ people in Brazil, in in the company, just like Brazil. I don't have 50% of women, just like the population of Brazil here, the company. I have, in fact, way less than that, especially in terms of a senior position. So it's not a discriminatory thing. It's just to make an historical reparation or to be on the same level of the country, to be proportionally equal to the country, to the population of the country. And that's that. So, okay, I'm a man, she's a woman, and that he chose the woman because there's not lots of VP women in the Recarga Pay. That's it. That's the point. Because how can you say that I'm being a discriminatory person if I have, I don't know, 70% of men in the company? So if I choose a woman instead of a man at that moment on purpose, how can I be being discriminating the man if I have already 70% of the senior positions for men? So that's the point.
1: Again, to be clear, I completely agree with you. I think your mindset is 100% correct. But obviously that is an argument that we might hear. I know that in the States we hear that. Yeah, a lot, and here as well, in Brazil as well, yeah. I think we, our countries probably share some similarities in terms of how people think about some of these matters, for better or worse, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for better and worse, yeah. Yeah, exactly, probably mostly worse, unfortunately. But this is the argument that we hear a lot, is, is that exact thing, and, and what it loses in that argument is if you're a white male, you're like, you come from a place of privilege and you have to acknowledge that to some degree and an employer has to acknowledge that, that privilege and look to create a diverse culture and a diverse portfolio. And your mindset is right. Like, you can just look at your country's statistics against your employee ratio, right, of who you're representing. And if you're really off, well, then something's happening here that is not representative of inclusivity. So writing that wrong makes sense.
0: Yeah, if I have a diversity here in the company, We have very good results, very good business. If I am discussing a marketing campaign about, okay, let's talk about bills. Let's talk about top-up. Let's talk about, I don't know, getting a loan. And it's totally different if I have just, you know, white people, health, financially people discussing about uh, that marketing campaign. Then if I have more diverse people, people like these, just mentioned, but people also that were not privileged, live in the suburbs and it's black and suffered all the painful things in life, especially for money, they will give different opinions for a marketing campaign. And that's very rich for us. It enrich the way I create the campaigns, I create the products to deliver a more inclusive product for all type of people and not the people that created in here that are the same, just the same type of people working in here.
1: It's such a good point. It's so- One of the core tenets for how your organization wants to operate, I think that we established at one point was democratization of, again, access to financial tools because it doesn't exist in Brazil. So if you want to achieve that, it is impossible without an inclusive employee base because you can't democratize something unless you're speaking to everyone, you're making it available to everyone. And you can't speak to everyone unless you understand those people in an intrinsic way and through a, a historical lens, even like that you've experienced it yourself. Without that, you can't get there. And it sounds like you guys have, are really trying to find that marriage between creating that inclusive employee base and then manifesting that to the world so that you can bring more people on to Pay. Exactly. It's easier said than done, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. These things are incredibly challenging. Yeah, it's very challenging, but it's so satisfactory when we see the results. And we are working with these for the last three years, more intensively on the last two years. And the results today, it's, man, we can be very happy with what's going on, the results. And when we see all the people thanking us about what's happening here in the company in terms of we are the same, we have all the same opportunities. And man, it's beautiful to see. It's really exciting to hear,
1: even honestly. I think we need a lot more people like you and organizations like yours that are supporting and more than supporting right being vocal proponents of inclusivity that's i think one of the core differences here is i can support it at my house and in my bedroom but when it comes to talking to the world outside of me that's where we can really have a massive impact here And you're living proof of that ricardo payas so congrats to you and the whole team this has been so much fun i really enjoyed everything you've shared with me it's one of my favorite podcasts i've done in a really long time so renato thank you so very very much for joining us today thanks a lot tony it was a pleasure Next time, we'll have you back and we'll see how things are going and we'll find some other subjects to talk about and uh, maybe compare the US and Brazil a little more because I think we go through some of the similar bullshit, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, man. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. To all of our listeners, today's guest is Renato Camargo, who is the country manager and CMO at Pay. Renato, thank you. We'll chat soon.
0: Thank you. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.